Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring our message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Good morning, Fellowship Church. You guys, we are so excited to worship with you this morning. We have a brand new song and it comes straight out of scripture. I wanted to share this with you. It comes out of Mark 16. It's when Jesus appears to his disciples after he's already been resurrected and he says, listen, if anyone who believes the good news, they will be saved. And these miracle signs will accompany all of those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will supernaturally be protected and they will lay hands on the sick and they will heal him. Guys, Jesus has given us that authority. We can echo the words that he has already spoken. So let's praise in faith. Let's worship in faith. Put your hands together. Come on, let's go.
would you put your hands right out in front of you? And would you picture whatever feels heavy, whatever feels impossible, whatever feels unfair, Would you picture that in your hands? And then would you surrender it to our Heavenly Father? Because as long as we keep a death grip on it, He can't do a whole lot with it. So right now, Jesus, we surrender our heavy things to you. We surrender the things that look impossible to you. We surrender the scary things to you. We surrender what feels like injustice to you. We lay it all at the feet of Jesus and we say, God, do what only you can do. Let your will be done in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And God, as we lay it at your feet, would you lift that weight off our shoulders because you never meant for us to carry it. And then church family, with your eyes closed, would you whisper, I trust you.
to come and worship you freely, Lord Jesus, that we get to come as we are and worship you, Jesus. And for all this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Fellowship Church, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for joining us here at Fellowship Church Online. Whether you're watching Facebook, YouTube, fellowshipgj.com, we'd love to know where you're watching from, so write it in the comment section. If this is your first time here in person or online and you want to get a little bit more information about us, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000. If this is your first time here as well and you are in person, we have a special gift bag for you as well as free specialty drinks in our coffee shop for you and every member of your visiting party. At the end of service, just go to the middle of the lobby to our information center and we would love to greet you. For everyone who has partnered with us financially here at Fellowship Church, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. You are a vital part of the kingdom work that is being done here. If you wanna partner with us, there's many ways you can give. You can give on the Church Center app, you can give online, you can text give, or you can drop an offering on your way out in offering boxes. But I just wanna pray a special blessing over each and every one of you here in person and online that God would bless you because we know that when we trust him with our finances, he says that he will indeed bless us. So Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you do for us, the way you provide for us, the way you protect us, God. We know that every good and perfect thing is a gift coming to us 
become God our Father, and we want to honor you with everything that we have. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much. Here's what's going on at Fellowship Church. Joe? Thanks, Joe. On September 18th, we are going to be having our baby dedication. If you've recently had a child and you want to commit to raising them with the Lord, this is a fantastic opportunity for you and your family to gather and declare that this child is for the Lord. If you want more information or want to sign up, you do that on the Church Center app. If you've ever had some questions about what it means to be a Christ follower and how to live that out, a great class to start with would be our Rooted class. It's going to start on September 25th. It's during the 9 o'clock service and the cost is $25. You're going to meet with other people who are just starting their journey as well, get connected, as well as learn a little bit more about our faith and what it means to follow Jesus. Our Young Adults Group is starting back up Wednesday, September 28th. It's going to go from 6 to 8.30, and it's an amazing opportunity to just get together and connect with some people who are in the same season of life as you. If you want information, once again, go to the Church Center app and sign up there. Our marriage retreat is coming up fast, and we were able to secure a few more rooms to open up a few more spots for anyone interested in coming. The dates are October 6th through the 8th. The cost is $4.25. If you're interested, sign up on the Church Center app. To stay updated on all the things that are going on here at Fellowship Church, go to fellowshipgj.com events. Thank you so much for joining us today here at Fellowship Church. Enjoy the rest of the service. Come on, stand to your feet, church. I've been walking in a city I cannot see.
family, there are gatherings, and at these gatherings, there is food, right? And so maybe your family's come around the kitchen table, and the prime uh, rib has come out of the oven, or the turkey, the mashed potatoes, the sweet potatoes, the obligatory salad, whatever it is. And in this moment, someone is nominated to pray. And just in case praying in public is kind of newer for you, I'd like to um, just help you have some tips to not be that guy that makes it awkward for others. So the first guy I see that's just kind of like being a little awkward is the one who overuses the name of God. So as he begins his prayer, he feels the need to use every name or nickname that God has ever been called by in one solid prayer. So his prayer might sound something like this, oh Lord. God of hosts, Jesus, Lord God, please bless this food, oh heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, please bless this food that we are about. That's awkward, okay? Because we, prayer is just talking to God. It's just us having a conversation with our Heavenly Father, and we don't talk to anyone else that way. We don't use their name every 2.5 seconds in conversation. I mean, how weird would that be? Say I go into Pastor Hooper's office, and I'm going to just ask for the day off. And so I don't go in like, hey, Pastor Hooper, can I please, Dr. Daniel Clark Hooper Sr., please, oh, husband of Anna Hooper, our founding pastor and my boss, may I please have Tuesday? We don't, that, that's weird, right? So when we pray, we don't need to pray that way. The second thing that you find with group prayer is you sometimes get the guy who he's gonna use the prayer as the opportunity to catch everyone else in their poor behavior. And so he's there praying, he gathers people around, and he gets everyone to bow their head and close their eyes, and then he prays with like one eye open, right? And he's kind of checking it out. He's gonna make sure that nobody is getting too squirrely or sneaking a bite of food before the blessing is complete. There was actually a family member of mine who called out in his prayer, my cousin Matt, because my cousin Matt took a bite of the cucumber from the veggie tray before the blessing was complete. And so in the middle of the prayer, this relative is like, oh Lord God, please forgive Matt for eating from the veggie tray before it was fully blessed. And I'm like, at 10 years old, I'm sitting there listening to this. I'm like, wait, is the sin of eating the cucumber worse than the sin of opening your eyes during group prayer? <laughs> the third person that kind of brings the awkward into the situation during group prayer is the person that decides that they're going to pray a long time. Not just a minute or two heartfelt prayer, but a really long time. When this person starts to pray, you get the impression that this is the only time they intend to pray this year. They're going to get it all in this one prayer. So when they start praying, you got to make yourself comfortable, make sure you have a chair with low back support, because they're going to go on and on, like they're going to bring up the election. They're for sure going to talk about the bird migration, monsoon season, they're going to talk about their neighbors, co-workers, dogs, health, and they're going to pray for the starving children of the world, to whom we could have mailed this feast by the time they get done with their prayer. 
But you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to pray and make prayer awkward for others. So when you pray, just keep it simple. Just keep it talk between you and your heavenly Father. Now this morning we're continuing in our prayer series. This is week three. And we're going to take a look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed found in Ephesians chapter three. Now the Apostle Paul, this prayer has been called the boldest prayer ever prayed by theologians. And he makes some huge asks. He really lays down some big requests, but he's not asking for beachfront property in Maui. He's not asking for a billion dollars. All of his asks are like abstract and about spiritual growth. Now, if there was ever a guy that could ask for something for his own comfort, it would probably be Paul, because he's actually writing this book from prison. So he's pretty much in a miserable situation, but he doesn't ask for anything material at all. He asks for these spiritual things. Now, I'll be honest, when I pray, I mostly ask for material things. I I ask for things for myself and for you and for my loved ones, but I ask for things like health and that our children would all be safe and that we'd have enough resources to make ends meet and those kinds of things. Like, it's not all selfish, but I, I rarely think big enough to pray for like the spiritual growth of the nations like the Apostle Paul does in his prayers. So as I studied Ephesians 3 this week and the last couple weeks, it's really challenged me to make my prayers bigger and bolder and about growth and change in myself and others. So let's jump in, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. It says, When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. So Paul starts his prayer, much like Jesus started his prayer, the Lord's Prayer. A couple weeks ago we talked about our Father who art in heaven. So the Apostle Paul starts his prayer defining he's praying to the Father. And then he adds, and the creator of heaven and earth. And I think that's really cool because he's saying, I'm praying to the Father. It's personal. He knows me. I know him. He loves me. He's good to me, the Father. And he's the creator of heaven and earth, meaning he's got the power and the capacity to actually answer the prayer requests that I'm going to be laying down. Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, I'm going to stop there, from his glorious unlimited resources. Now Paul mentions that God has unlimited resources. And it's important to recognize we're not talking to someone, asking for help from someone that has to keep a checkbook register. Okay, he is not up there with his phone, with his calculator app, adding up the expenses of his kids and making sure he stays on budget. It's not like, okay, well last week, Jamie asked me for peace. That was an expensive one. And then this weekend, um, Bob, he asked for a breakthrough when it comes to that work issue. And I gave him that breakthrough, so got to add that one in. And then that couple struggling with infertility, whatever their name is, we're going to add them in there. Because, man, this next prayer request that comes in, I better check if I have any coupons. Like, this is getting expensive. That's not the God we're praying to. The Apostle Paul says we're praying to someone that's unlimited. His resources are unlimited. So when I see someone else receive an answer to prayer, I can be confident that my answer is still coming. Someone else gets the house. Someone else gets the clean bill of health. Someone else gets the breakthrough. Someone else gets their toddler to take a two-hour nap. I can still pray boldly that God will hear my prayers and honor my requests because the God I'm praying to is not broke. He's not even on a budget. He's literally unlimited. So the first thing we see Paul pray for is that he would receive inner strength from the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 16, I'll read the whole thing. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength from his spirit. Another translation says, pray that your inner man would be strengthened. Now sometimes when the Bible says flowery things like this, it's easy to just hear them and kind of move on like in one ear, out the other. That was nice. But what does it mean when the Bible says pray for inner strength? Pray that your inner man would be strengthened. Like why does the Apostle Paul pray this and why does it get written in Scripture and should I be praying for inner strength from the Holy Spirit in my daily life? Yes, I need, I need inner strength because I don't always want to obey Jesus. I need inner strength because part of me wants to go my own way and do my own thing. And I need inner strength from the Spirit to live the way Jesus wants me to live. I have with me this morning a brain. We borrowed these from the youth department, by the way. A brain and a heart. And these are here to kind of remind us and ask ourselves this question, how do we make decisions in our life? There's kind of like team brain or team logic and then team heart or team emotion, team feeling. And when we're confronted with a decision, many of us lean one way or the other. Do we make our decision based on emotions, based on facts, or do we make our decision um, based on what we're feeling in, in that given moment. So let me give you a scenario. Here's the scenario. Before church, someone in your family said, let's go to lunch after church. And they threw out the idea of going to Chili's. Now it's not settled yet, so you kind of have some thoughts going on. And have you been thinking Chili's? Okay, Chili's, yeah. So if we go to Chili's, lately... They've been kind of short-staffed over there. And at Chili's, um, the dining room has been closed a lot. I, I don't understand. Everyone's having to eat in the bar. The air conditioning was broken last month. That was kind of weird. Sometimes I go there and um, it's just takeout all of a sudden with no warning. I, you know, I don't think Chili's is really the place to go today. That's team logic, team fact, kind of thinking it through based on your brain, right? But then there's this other group of people that's team heart. And so when they hear the idea of chilies, they immediately picture the chips and salsa. Now these chips and salsa are to die for, okay? They come out warm, they come out fresh, they come out salted, they come out with salsa. It's unlimited, okay? The salsa is spicy but not too spicy, chunky but not too chunky. And as you're thinking about chilies, you're picturing all this food and the deliciousness of these chips and salsa, and you think to yourself, I feel happy when I think of chips and salsa. I'm excited about chips and salsa. I should go to Chili's. Chili's makes me happy. That's team heart. And so each one of us is on one of these teams. We make our decisions based on our logic or we make our decisions based on our thinking. So which are you? Are, how many of you, by show of hands, are team brain? You make your decisions on logic, on facts, get organized, okay, some, some of us. All right, how many of you, team heart, you base your decisions on your emotions, what feels good, what feels happy and peaceful, or what keeps the peace maybe in your family. Okay, how many of you are like, I'm a hot mess of both of these. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, I can't even decide. My brain and my heart are at war. 
Okay, what if the decision we're facing is a lot bigger deal than chips and salsa? What if the decision we're facing is whether to buy the house or to quit the job or to marry a certain person or to start tithing or to begin a business? What if the decision is about should I move from Texas to Grand Junction? Like what if the decision you're, you're wrestling with has implications? Then are you team heart or team brain? Because here's the truth. Our minds and our emotions aren't saved. Jesus didn't take control of our mind and emotions when we accepted Christ and just make them come into alignment with him. Our mind and our emotions are all over the place. And the reason we pray for inner strength from the Holy Spirit is because we need to tell our, our illogical logic and our fickle feelings that they are not on the throne. We have to explain to our mind and our heart that they are not the boss of us, that Jesus is the boss of us, that he sits on the throne, that he's the Lord, and that we don't make our decisions based on the logic that we can see in the moment or based on how it makes us feel in the moment, but we make our decisions based on Christ, the principles of his kingdom and what he's leading and directing us to do. And so we pray and we say, God, give me strength in our inner man because the the loudness of these two voices can be overpowering sometimes. And we ask Jesus to strengthen our inner man, to overcome their urges, and to keep our life on track with what God is asking us to do. Verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down in God's love and keep you strong. And so the second thing we see the Apostle Paul praying for is that he prays that Christ is at home in your heart. He prays that Christ will be at home in your heart. Now, this is common terminology that we use. We will say that you accepted Christ as your Savior, that Jesus lives in your heart. We even tell little kids this in preschool classrooms. We'll say, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And one of our little ones told their preschool teacher recently, they said, I don't think Jesus would fit in my heart. My heart is very small, and he's a grown-up, and I... So, but what's going on here theologically, what's going on theologically is we're inviting Jesus to move into our heart, to live in our heart, but not just live there, but to make himself at home there. And if Christ is going to make himself at home there, then we're going to start to sense his presence in our feelings and sense his presence in our thinking more than we have before. Picture it like this. Let's imagine that there is a man and he is a bachelor. And he lives independently on his own at his bachelor pad, okay? In the middle of his living room, you would see the focal point of his home with his decorating style of big screen TV. Recliner is the main piece of furniture, end table for comfort, right? That man is going to have decorated his walls with some random neon that he got in a questionable manner in college. Maybe some posters of some fast sports cars, possibly an Afghan just hung on the wall. We don't know. The kitchen, the main accessory in the kitchen, cooking-wise, is the can opener, right? And um, leftovers are just packed into the fridge, takeout, stuff like that. Now, let's say that this man falls in love and he is getting married, and he is going to move his wife into his home after their wedding. She is going to walk in that home, in that bachelor pad, and will she feel at home, ladies? No, she will not feel at home. She will have come to the house, but she will not be at home until she remodels, 
okay? Remodel is essential to the woman now feeling comfortable in this house and making it her home. She is going to have to basically remove all decorations. Those are going to Goodwill. And she's going to have to make a trip to Hobby Lobby and Pier 1. She'll have to go to American Furniture and buy respectable adult furniture to put into the home. Everything will be painted, everything recarpeted or refinished. Am I right, ladies? For her to feel comfortable, there has to be a renovation. She can visit there, but she can't make it her home unless it's redecorated appropriately. When Christ comes into our hearts at salvation, it's like he's visiting. But if he is going to make his home in our hearts, there has to be a redecoration of our heart. Because when Jesus comes in our heart or into our thinking, he's not the only occupant. Because also in our thinking are our own selfish desires, our own way of understanding the world, our own idea of us first. All of these things are lurking, anxiety, hopelessness, frustration, selfishness. All of these things are lurking in our thinking and in our heart when Christ comes into our home. And he wants a remodel. He wants to say, let's take this selfishness, let's take this anxiety, let's donate that to Goodwill over here. Now, let's go get some respectable things and decorate this house with love and empathy and compassion and, and kindness and self-control. There has to be a remodel for Christ to go from stopping by to making his home in our heart. So when the apostle Paul prays, he says that we should make Christ, should make Christ at home in our heart. And this doesn't always make sense. 1 Corinthians 1 says, The message of the cross is foolishness for those who are headed to destruction. But for those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. So when we start explaining to our, our friends who don't know Christ yet, when we say we go to church on Sunday, they think, oh, that's weird. And then they might go, well, did you go to church last Sunday? Yep. And the Sunday before? Uh-huh. Wait, do you go to church every Sunday? Yes, that is illogical to someone who doesn't know Christ. But when Christ is making his home in our thinking, or Christ is making his home in our emotions, then all of a sudden that idea becomes clear. That idea becomes godly. That idea makes sense to us. Or someone might say, wait a sec, you open up your home to host a life group? You serve in a nursery classroom? You come on Wednesday nights and hang out with teenagers? Like, that doesn't make sense. It makes sense because we're allowing Jesus to remodel the way we think and remodel the way that we feel. And he begins to make things, take things like tithing. Doesn't make sense, but it begins to make sense as he remakes our minds and our emotions. People ask a lot, how do I feel more of God's presence in my life? How do, how do I start to sense him and hear him talking to me and really feel that emotional connection with God? Well, Ephesians 3 prayer is part of how. We ask Jesus to make his home in our hearts. And when we invite him to make his home in our hearts, just like the bachelor inviting the wife into the home, it is an automatic that transformation must take place. We have to then allow Jesus to remodel our hearts. And the spiritual term for this is um, to be sanctified or sanctification, the process of change over time, transformation of our emotions and our thinking. And so when the Apostle Paul is praying, he's saying, hey, you're praying that Christ would come in your heart, strengthen your inner man, and then that he would make his home in your heart so that you would start to think and feel the thoughts 
and the feelings of Christ. God has thoughts towards us. God has thoughts towards the people around us. And if we're allowing him to transform our thinking, then we'll start to think about others the way God thinks about them. And we'll start to feel towards others the way God feels about them. We'll have the emotional bandwidth for compassion and empathy and kindness that maybe before our heart was too cluttered with stress and self and anxiety for us to really feel the hurts of others, or us to really even think of how to be encouraging to people around us. So as Christ comes in our hearts and makes that remodel, that's what he's up to, that we would begin to see people through his eyes, that we begin to see the world through his eyes, and we would have his love and his compassion as we do it. Ephesians 3, verse 18 this time, it says, and Paul's continuing his prayer, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how, hot, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. So that's the third big thing that Paul is asking for. He's asking that you, we would pray that we would be empowered to understand mentally, and experience emotionally the fullness of God's love. God's love is such a huge concept. Imagine that you were a human being that had limited access to water. So you'd, you'd of course, drank some water. You'd maybe seen it drizzle here and there, maybe a small puddle, but somehow you'd never seen a river or a lake and suddenly a helicopter kind of scoops you up and flies you out over the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and drops you into the ocean with no land in sight. And there you are treading water in this situation. And you're trying to like grasp the depth and the width and the length of the water that you're now swimming in. What is your capacity to understand the fullness of the height and depth and the volume of this water? The ocean. It's overwhelming. It's almost impossible for you to, to get your brain around the sheer size and value of that ocean. The Bible tells us that God's love is an ocean. It's bigger than any ocean. And the, the height and width and depth, the volume of the love of God is equally incomprehensible to us. But he still says, he says, pray that you'll understand it and pray that you'll experience it in its fullness. The creator of the heavens and earth adores you. We've heard it said a million times, God loves you. It's on bumper stickers, it's on coffee mugs, it's on t-shirts. In fact, a lot of times we see it so frequently that we don't actually even engage with that truth anymore. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. But hear me when I say, like, God loves you. He likes you. He enjoys you. He adores you. And sometimes we allow that message to get so watered down that we no longer, it no longer hits us. We no longer understand or experience his love through that statement. But the truth is that the God of heaven and earth adores you. He enjoys being with you. He gets your sense of humor. He likes spending time with you. He likes your hobbies. He likes doing hobbies and being invited along. God enjoys you as a person. And not only that, he likes you and he loves you. James 4 in the Bible says, God actually yearns for us. That means, yearn means he longs for us with a great intensity. Jesus makes this really bold and kind of shocking statement. In Matthew 16, 26, he says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
I want us to really think about what this means. When I read this verse, I picture like a scale, like a scales of justice, you know, and you're going to weigh these two things out. And on one side of the scale is the whole world, and on the other side of the scale is you, just you, not all of us collectively, not your whole family, not all the people of humanity, just individually you. And on the other side is the whole world. Like the value of the whole world. So all the cash, all, all the cold hard cash, the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, all the gold, the silver, all the precious metals, all the precious gems, like diamonds and rubies and sapphires, all of that is on this side of the scale. Plus, all the yachts and the boats and the cars and the value of, of every muscle car and sports car and antique car and lifted truck. And, and, then, and then all of the technology and the value of the technology, that's all on this side. And there's a term for all the money in the world. It's gross world product. And it's been determined that the gross world product, all the money in the world, is equal in our year, in 2022, to $103 trillion. And that does not include real estate. That's not included in the gross world product. So you have to add in the value of every building, every piece of land, every house, every mansion, every church, every government spot, every commercial real estate, every school, all, all of the things. Real estate plus $103 trillion is sitting on this side of the scale. And Jesus says, weigh it out. All the world, you. All the world, you. And he says, if you trade you for everything on this side of the scale, that you have made a bad business deal, that you have lost. He's stating that, that you, individually you, are worth more than $103 trillion plus real estate. You personally are more treasured and more valued by the God of this universe, then all of that all together. And he challenges you to see, begin to see yourself as worth that much, that treasured, that adored, that loved, that liked by the God of this universe. And the value God places on us personally is worth more than all of the world. And the love of God can overcome any obstacle, any fear, any anxiety, any hurt, any racism, any heartache, any greed, any selfishness. The love of God can overcome any diagnosis, mental health, physical health. It can overcome poverty. It can, the love of God can overcome any obstacle that we feel in our life. So when Paul is praying and he's saying, I pray that you would fully comprehend the love of God and experience the love of God. What he's talking about is that we, would, that we would really grasp it in our heart, in our daily life. We'd feel it and we'd sense it, and with our mind that we would understand it. And if we can do that, Ephesians 3 verse 19 continues. It says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Can you imagine that? The idea is that we would be made complete. What would that feel like to, to truly be fully complete as a human being, made complete in the fullness of God's love, in the fullness of his life, in the fullness of his power that we would understand it and we would feel and sense it and we would know that it's, that it's real? 
to be able to say that God has made us complete. That's what the Apostle Paul is praying for. That's why it's called the, the boldest prayer ever prayed that, that humanity would be made complete in the love and in the power and the life of God. I've asked the worship team to come and to sing. And what they did is they wrote like a compilation of songs. There's so many songs that have been written about the love of God through the generations. And they've compiled a bunch of these songs to just express the fullness of the love of God towards us in song. And as they sing, I want you to ask God, would you ask him to wash you over like an ocean, wash over you the, with waves of his love, that you would really sense in these moments the love that he has for you, the way he treasures you and the way he adores you while they sing.
stand? I want to bless you with the prayer of Ephesians 3 from the Apostle Paul. And he said, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how tall, how deep his love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or even think. Glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, church family. We love you and we will see you next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do this right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text us at heaven and 94,000 to get in contact with one of our staff where we can answer any questions that you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You could submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94,000 as well. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text Fellowship to 94,000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.